G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation and is broadcast on your own community radio stations. Two reports today. We hear from Danny Miller, AMWU, the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union organiser, at the Visi plant in Shepparton in rural Victoria, where the workers have been taking strike action for fair pay since mid-January. We follow that with a word with Dr Alison Barnes, the National President of the NTEU, the National Tertiary Education Union, about wage theft, precarious work and a call for an inquiry into the management ethos in our universities. But first, some union news. In New South Wales, paramedics covered by the Health Services Union, the HSU, began a five and a half weeks campaign of high visibility civil disobedience and work bans on February the 17th as they seek election commitments from politicians for a pay deal that reflects their professionalism, productivity and enhanced skills. Among the actions paramedics will ramp up is liquid chalking of protest messages on ambulances, as well as wearing protest T-shirts over their uniform. Paramedics will ban using higher skills for which they have been trained, but are not currently paid. New South Wales paramedics have lowest pay in Australia, despite significantly increasing their skills and productivity over the last decade. They also have the highest injury rate. The Health Services Union is pushing for a new system of pay that recognises what paramedics currently do, but unshackles paramedics to fully use all skills they have acquired. Perite reinstates the New South Wales building code in the lead-up to the next New South Wales state election. New South Wales Treasurer Matt Keane and Employee Relations Minister Daniel Tudhope announced on Tuesday, February the 14th, that the New South Wales government will revive state guidelines to ban restrictive union conditions and behaviour on construction sites after the Albanese government scrapped the Australian Building and Construction Commission. The code, enforced as part of state procurement policies, would extend not just to contractors on the state's $117 billion worth of infrastructure projects, but to the relevant contractors' commercial projects in the state as well. CFMEU New South Wales Secretary Darren Greenfield slammed the New South Wales government for peddling the same old tired, visionless policies of attacking workers and unions while giving a free pass to developers. He compared the move to the Liberals' failed anti-union scare campaign at the federal election and argued it was designed to suppress wages and conditions. It is a shameful and cynical ploy by Perite, Tudgehope and Keane to boost their political stocks by thrashing workers, he said. New South Wales construction workers will likewise vote with their feet against Perite. 
The United Workers' Union, the UWU, covering disability support workers, highlighted the release of a major national survey of 1,500 disability support workers, which reveals the shocking physical risk and daily threat of violence disability workers are facing at work. Issues raised in the survey by the United Workers' Union include 38% of workers experiencing violence in the workplace, 84% experiencing the impacts of understaffing, and over 30% reporting regular unpaid work. Among workers planning to leave the sector, the top reasons given are workplace stress, 56%, feeling undervalued, 55%, and staff shortages, 53%. The report has been released as the Royal Commission held its final hearings of its three-year-long inquiry into the sector. Mel Coad, United Workers Union Disability coordinator said the survey shines a light on the workforce crisis in disability support, a crisis that has been ignored by the Royal Commission over its three-year inquiry. The incidents disability support workers face are horrifying and it's a direct consequence of understaffing, chronically low pay and a system that relies on workers taking on unpaid hours, she said. This survey shows that everyday disability workers endeavour to provide safe quality support to people with disability in an environment of poor workforce conditions. We had hoped the Royal Commission would address this as workers are key to ensuring people with disability do not face violence, abuse, neglect and exploitation. It's telling that when workers file occupational health and safety reports... Nearly half of the workers say their complaints aren't acted on in a timely fashion and others speak of being punished or bullied if they make incident reports. Last week, the Fair Work Commission, the FWC, announced that aged care workers will be in line for a 15% pay increase from June 30, 2023. The wage increase applies to direct care workers, including head chefs and recreational and lifestyle officers, but does not include aged care support and administration staff. The existing minimum rates, said the Commission in a summary of its decision, do not properly compensate employees for their work. It described the sector's largely female workforce as historically undervalued and that the reason for the undervaluation is likely to be gender-based. A core recommendation of the Aged Care Royal Commission's final report last year, unions had been calling for a wage hike for all sectors, workers, frontline and support staff of 25%. You're listening to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Since mid-January, workers at the Shepparton Busy Plant in rural Victoria have been fighting for a decent pay rise, rejecting the 8% over three years offer from the company. Sue Bolton from 3CR's Greenleft Breakfast talked to Danny Miller, the AMWU, Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union organiser, about the dispute. We've been trying to negotiate an enterprise agreement since its normal expiry date mid last year. Um, we've had some 14 or so meetings with the company um, during the period up to date. 
um, we weren't very um, uh, very strong on what we wanted to get, but what we wanted to get was based on you know some general improvements, and certainly wages was a key aspect of that um, sort of thing. And the company have just come keep coming back to us with wages that are well below even or just barely above even uh, CPI for this year for a three-year deal. So basically the company's offered us at the start it was 8% for three years. They've now just slightly mended it to 8.75%. Um, they're removing back pay because of industrial action and all the rest of it. Um, what the members are really seeking is, you know, they're not seeking a increase to keep up or equivalent to CPI, but they want to get as close as they possibly can. And they just want some minor improvements, just some allowance increases and all the rest of it. So um, we don't think that we're being too extravagant with what we're asking for. Um, this is off the third richest Australian, um, Anthony Pratt, and a company that has you know, been extremely busy during the whole pandemic situation by supplying cans to companies like SPCs, um, Campbell Soups, Simplots, Heinz, etc., etc., we want to get a decent wage increase. The company, this is a group of workers that have probably taken a few hits over the years to help the company out, um, to keep its profitability, sustainability, all the rest of it. And the company's always promised them every bargaining round, look, the company's in a bit of a tight spot. Um, you know, can you just take sort of this wages off and we'll fix you up? And that's probably happened in the last three years, guys. And I think a lot of the workers in there worked out that they've been lied to the whole way through. they come to a point where they're just saying, well, we need to do better. And, you know, busy can do better um, because of, you know, the, the increased workload over the last three years. Anthony Pratt's own personal wealth has literally doubled in that period um, to take him to, you know, the third richest person in Australia. And, and just using this patenting bargaining that the company uses across all its busy workplaces where it says, well, we're just going to come with a wages outcome. Um, and, you know, workers just have to do it. And if they don't, you know, we'll threaten with lockouts and withdraw any, um, you know, back pay, et cetera, et cetera. I think up to um, yesterday, there was the 15th day of industrial action that's occurred across the site in the last few weeks um, for that exact reason. We're doing rolling stoppages literally every sort of, you know, three days in every week, um, which is coming at a heavy cost and burden. Um, to our members to try and sustain their own households, especially in this high-cost economy. Um, they're doing it hard, extremely hard. You know, with the unions trying to do what they can and the members are sort of jumping on board now to help out, but, you know, um, they're still doing it hard. Yeah. Literally three days in every week for the last month, um, the members have been um, withdrawing their labour for three straight days. With the company just notified um, yesterday that there'll be further action take it next week and you know who knows what happens in the week after but the members resolve is you know it's very strong um they're working on a principle of one day longer one day stronger and that's certainly they're showing that in their actions um we've done a number of activities during the dispute including standing out front of busy head offices and their um other canning plants um around the state and that'll continue to go on until we can get a decent deal on, on the table. So what sort of work do the workers do? So you mentioned canneries. Um, so basically um, the workers may, or the members make um, labels for cans for particular companies, no, is that right? No, they, make, they actually make the, the, the can themselves. Okay. Okay, uh, for things like, you know, Campbell Soups cans 
SBC cans, so the tin fruit. Um, dairy cans, as in baby formulas. So they do make the actual can themselves. It's a very unique business. And I noticed that the workers came down to the Vizzy plant in Coburg. They're going to be starting EBA negotiations soon as well. So, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that and the fact that the workers sort of coming together like that was an opportunity for solidarity? It, it was. Um, it was requested by the Coburg plant that we come down and give them a visit. Um, they wanted to have a talk to us because, um, obviously, as you alluded to there, heading towards air negotiations um, in, a, in, in the not-too-distant future. Um, so they obviously expressed their concerns to us about, you know, probably being tabled the same wages offer, even if you do their patent, patent bargaining on the wage increases across mm. the whole of their businesses, that they were not going to be receptive to the company in regards to them being offered 8.75% over three years. And is it true, uh, I thought I read somewhere, but I might be mistaken, that the um, Shepparton plant has a lower pay rate than some of the other Vizzy plants, is that right? Yes, that is correct. That is correct. Um, Other enterprise agreements where the A&W are directly involved, that the Shepparton site is lagging behind in the wage increases, which is somewhat the element of disrespect that the workers at Shepparton feel that they're getting from Vizzy. Um, we've put that to Vizzy about how we can equalise that. Um, they've basically just thrown it up that, you know, it is what it is, right? Um, they feel that maybe the cost of living is cheaper in regional areas, which I would argue against. Well, our house prices might be a little bit different. We pay more in general other items, like everyday items, food, et cetera, mm. et cetera, because of transport costs, et cetera, et cetera. Generally, there's a picket line, um, pending obviously any road trips down to Melbourne or something like that. Um, there's usually a picket line, let's see, on the, uh, every other day that we're doing the protected action. As I alluded to before, at the moment, members are only doing three days a week, and that's really just because of financial financials. They can't sustain five at this stage, but if we can get enough, you know, community support behind us and some donations, um, the members have certainly talked about taking it to the next level. Um, so if we can get that, then you know the members will take it, take it fully on by the bull board horns take. Strike Fund, I imagine that's on the MW Facebook page. It is, it is. On the AMW Victoria web pages, um, there's links in there and social media um, articles about the dispute. Um, In there, there's also um, information in regards to anyone that wants to help support these workers to win this fight, because it's really important that we do win this fight. This will set a big precedence across the country, let alone, you know, amongst all other busy sites. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. The National Tertiary Education Union, the NTU, has just put out a report that shows university workers have been subsidising their employers to the tune of millions of dollars. I spoke to the National President of the Union, Dr Alison Barnes, about the issue of wage theft and recalcitrant university management. So there's been a report, you put out a report that uh, has actually looked at various case studies uh, that relate to the higher education sector and uh, and the union has uh, actually gone so far to say that uh, uh, wage theft is a business model that uh, higher education universities are using. The, the question is, uh, could you please uh, talk to us about how uh, universities are shortchanging their staff. Yeah, 
Fantastic. That's an excellent question. Um, look, wage theft is uh, an absolute aberration and really common across, we believe, all Australian universities. But this report points to uh, instances that are on the public record. Uh, wage theft at our public universities occurs in a number of ways. It can be the reclassification of work, so the work remains the same, but you're suddenly paid less for it. It can be your overtime and long service leave and those things not being taken into account. It can be not being paid for the actual time in which it takes you to uh, mark essays and like. So there's a number of different ways ways that uh, universities steal the wages of their most vulnerable and easy to exploit staff. Um, but it's a really damning indictment on our universities that they're engaging in these practices. It's a really poor, appalling reflection on our million dollar vice chancellors, and I call them that because they are often paid a uh, million dollar remuneration packages. Um, it's a really damning indictment um, on them and business models that have wage theft really baked into them. Now, the unions have been an integral part in discovering this level of wage theft. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, this is absolutely true. Look, we've been um, aware of wage theft uh, for a number of years across the sector and the brave and fantastic work of rank and file, casual activists, staff across universities. We've been um, campaigning for a long time to not only recover wages for people who've had them stolen, but um, shine a light on university practices. You know, we've been, we've been trying for a long time to, to draw attention to it. So it's not just us who is now talking about the problem um, of wage theft in universities. You now see, for example, the uh, Fair Work Ombudsman coming out and talking about the culture of sort of passive resistance that university management have uh, to avoid to avoid you know yeah their obligations to staff you know that primary obligation is that you you paid the wages to which you are entitled. Now the the next thing about this is wage theft is directly linked to the scourge of insecure work with casual fixed term staff disproportionately affected. Now this is uh, part of the university's move towards casualising. The workforce. Oh, absolutely true. Wage theft is the symptom of the problem, and the problem is the staggering numbers of people in our universities who are employed on uh, either on a casual basis or on rolling contracts. It beggars belief the extent of kind of insecure work across our universities and insecure work has a really toxic effect often on the individual who's employed in that way. You can't plan for modest holidays. We hear lots of examples of people being unable to afford rent or feed their children, let alone afford mortgages and life. So it's absolutely toxic for the individual. Not having that kind of economic security really eats at people's um, self-esteem and their capacities to kind of plan their lives. But it's really toxic universities like the core fundamental principles of Australian universities for example one of the cornerstones of Australian universities is the notion of academic freedom you can't exercise academic freedom unless you have secure employment so it's absolutely appalling that there are more people who are employed casually and on fixed-term contracts across universities than there are places like uh, Woolies or Coles you know we're looking at a situation where you know uh, two-thirds of people across our universities don't have secure employment 
Now, the thing is that uh, that goes contrary to the definition of casual, doesn't it? I mean, because most of those people on those contracts are doing jobs that have to be done and are continued after the period that their contract finishes. I think if you look at lots of kind of, for example, casual teaching that happens at universities, we're arguing that, you know, we need to change the definition of casual because those people are employed, you know, semester in and semester out. But because of, I suppose, problems with those things like, you know, breaks in semesters that, you know, they often can't convert to full-time employment. So we're really arguing rethink I suppose the nature of um, the employment relationship in universities because it's just not working for staff, students or arguably Australian societies who damage you know the very fabric of our institutions. Now there's a couple of things that have come up. Monash actually copped to a 8.6 million underpayment but uh, it uh, actually uh, it also has balked at the notion that uh, they have underpaid uh, tutors for the consult student consultation time, which they insisted that they had to do. Um, and they've gone back to the Fair Work Commission to try and change their EBA retrospectively. Now, that's quite a dangerous concept, isn't it? Oh, I think it sets a, a really dangerous precedent um, to try and retrospectively uh, alter uh, an enterprise um, agreement, a really dangerous perspective. But it's also an example of something that, that might be legal, but, you know, arguably immoral. I think this is a really appalling act of Monash University. Monash has uh, a budget of $3 billion and it made an extraordinary operating surplus last year. It has the money it should pay its staff correctly. Well, you see, it's interesting because Aldi staff, uh, were the Fair Work Commission told Aldi that it had to uh, back pay staff, that Aldi had mm. insisted that they turn up 15 minutes or so before their shift started. Uh, and, and that was part of the requirement of their employment. And so the Fair Work Commission actually insisted that, uh, told Aldi they actually had to pay those people for that 15 minutes and they were back paid. Um, Monash is saying to their tutors that they have to make themselves available for an hour for student consultation time and do it unpaid. Monash's, I think, behaviour in this instance is a really indicative of a kind of laissez-faire, irresponsible attitude to your staff. They're responsible for groundbreaking research. They're responsible for educating students across the country. To treat staff in this way, I think, is is irresponsible and reckless. You know, Monash really needs to come to the party and do the right thing um, for its staff. Now, in Queensland, the Queensland University, they've just gone on strike for a number of days because their university is dragging its feet. Uh, it's 600 days since their EBA has lapsed. What's going on there? Oh, look, I think we just need uh, management to bargain. You know, workers there are, uh, want you know, safe workloads. They want fair pay. The things that workers want are not unreasonable things, and we really need uh, management to to you know really 
get that agreement made and this is why staff are striking and it's you know their claims are completely reasonable they want safe manageable workloads they want secure jobs and they want you know wages that 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 keep up with the cost of living that I want real pay cuts and I think management needs to step up and um and negotiate with staff well the NTEU has got three main uh, uh demands you want criminalisation of wage theft. Now, that has recently happened in Victoria. Have you seen any uh, changes to uh, the situation because of such a thing? Oh, look, we want criminalisation of wage theft, but if you look at Victoria, that's a state where you know Victorian universities are leading the table in terms of kind of recovered wages. So we want um, criminalisation, of course, but we also want the laws changed so that we can win... Uh, and secure back pay for our workers, uh, for workers across the sector, in a much quicker um, and effective fashion. You know, management should not be able to hold on to those wages. We want a whole raft of changes, which really go to, I suppose, um, protecting workers from wage theft. But what we really need to see happen is we need to see the reliance on insecure work across our sector end. We really need to see. Uh, management changing the way they employ people and if we if they don't do it i really think it's incumbent on our current federal government to put an end to these appalling practices by you know university management they need to deal with wage theft but as we said earlier Annie, that's the that's the symptom and they need to to, to deal with the root of the problem and that's insecure work. Many of these universities are actually public assets. It's hard to imagine that uh, uh, such uh, things could be happening in such public industries. Uh, you think that there should be an inquiry, state and federal, into the causes of management's practices within these institutions? Yeah, we need a root and a branch review of governance in our universities. Like, as, as you say, these are public institutions. You know, the fact that our universities are behaving in such a fashion really makes you question the nature of governance in these institutions. We are bringing beloved institutions, institutions that should be in the press for the amazing teaching that they're doing and the amazing research um, that they're producing rather than stealing the wages of their staff. We need to really have a review, uh, you know, in a review um, into university governance so that we can, you know, stamp out this rot. You know, it really needs to end and I think there needs to be a review of, of university governance. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcasts, such as Spotify. And you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by ringing 03-9419-8377 and leaving us a message. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together and keep safe. <laughs>